podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is episode number 8, series 2 of our revamped New Look Mental Health and Sports series. Uh, this time around, the series is focusing specifically on footballers. We'll be talking to current and ex-footballers about their difficulties with mental health, addiction and similar subjects in the current climate of the world and the way 2020 is. Uh, I think talking about mental health issues is more important than ever. These uh, shows are just a open and honest account of some of the issues faced by these these athletes at the height of their careers, in some cases after their career, and uh, how it's affected their lives or their loved ones, whatever it may be. Each episode is different and it obviously is a different person's story and, and they face different issues or dealt with different issues. Um, and we, as me and Jacob have discussed before, we just hope that by doing these shows and people seeing people they've watched on TV, their idols, their, their heroes, talking about mental health, uh, and talking about some of the battles that they faced, that it'll it'll help reach those people who maybe do feel uh, alone or they're struggling a little bit at this present time, and they're the people which we want to reach and we want to encourage people to you know talk about mental health. It's it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I'm glad it's not because I talk about it a lot. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's um it's just one of those things we're trying to increase awareness, as it were. But um. For those of you who are new to the channel or checking the series out for the first time, uh, Ace Podcast Nation is home to many other uh, great shows and series. We've got exclusive interviews, top guests, expert analysts, and uh, more on a variety of subjects from mental health. We have two live football shows every week. Uh, we have an MMA show every week. There's various stuff with uh, top professionals, current and former, involved in all. Um, <clears throat> and you can get the video versions of every show, youtube.com slash Nation. Give us a subscribe, click the bell, and you'll be notified every time we go live or drop a new show. But you can also get the audio versions at every podcast radio platform. Just pick your favorite, search Ace Podcast Nation, and you will find us. Uh, there's a good 300-odd shows there on various subjects. But uh, with no further ado, let's get into it. Um, joining me, as ever, for each episode is uh, my good friend, Jacob. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm off uh, off work this week on holiday, but it never seems to be an actual holiday. Uh, so day two of holiday, and yeah, a lot of even work still happens when I'm off. So like, yeah, a few calls today would work, but uh, my wife has always got jobs for me to do. So I think tomorrow is the first day off in a long time where we're just gonna we're gonna watch Joker for the first time. I haven't watched that, and a lot of friends are like, how have you not seen that? Yeah, so I haven't seen it yet. So uh, really looking forward to that. You've left out a bit late, mate. God, that I is know, late. really late. But I see. Yeah, we're going to give it a go. It's got to be one I of enjoy. my favorite films. That. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I got to say, straight in, straight into number in the top three. That is. Yeah, I've yeah. no, I've know a few people who've said that. So the uh, the voice you heard there is our guest for today's episode, uh, ex Liverpool, West Brom, uh, Wigan and Leicester City, among other clubs. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome ex-England goalkeeper Chris Kirkland to the show. Uh, welcome, Chris. How are you, mate? Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, yeah. 
when uh, yes, finally got done. We've had a few hiccups along the way, haven't we? So apologise about that. But yeah, good. Uh, busy day today. Keeping active, keeping busy. Um, uh, doing a lot of exercise as well, a lot of walking. So uh, yeah, not, it's not been too bad. But yeah, I can't wait for things to go back to some kind of normality. I won't say normal. <laughs> I don't think things are ever normal, but. Yeah, I certainly can't wait to uh, to not have to seriously think about what you're going to do when you wake up in the mornings and what you can and can't do. So, mm. yeah, it's been yes, about. yeah, it's been a, a, an interesting year. I'm not sure what normality is going to be actually when we get back to it, but hopefully by early next year we'll have some sort of normality back because uh, I think this second lockdown where I am, um, the first one I didn't really find the long long one i didn't really find too bad um but the second one around which has been obviously been a lot shorter um i've started to feel the pressure of it and i've this last probably two weeks i've been struggling a little bit getting a bit frustrated and a bit het up over nothing so I, like i can recognize it so i i know it's there but that doesn't always help uh jacob does a, even when you know that you're going it's uh yeah no stopping it, I suppose. Um, so, Chris, like what we like to do is basically we're just going to hear from you. You're going to do a lot of talking. Me and Jacob will kind of chip in and ask you some questions along the way. But um, what we do like to do at the start is for people who might not be familiar with you, whether they're not football fans or just not familiar with uh, with you as such, is just in your own words, if you give us a kind of quick uh, overview of, of you, your upbringing, your career, you know, where you're from, that sort of thing. And just kind of tell yeah. us how Chris Kirkland got to where he is today. Yeah, well, it's, it seems like yesterday, to be honest. When you in a few of these, and when you start talking, you think you can't believe how long ago that was. But yeah, always been always liked football. I was actually an outfield player to start with, so I was never any never any good. But I just loved playing football. Played for the local teams. Lived down in Leicestershire. Uh, lived in Barwell most of my life. Played for the Barwell teams, the Hinkley teams, as an outfielder. And then a, a goalkeeper for Barwell. I was on the bench as an outfielder uh, for Barwell, and the goalkeeper got injured. And because I was the only one on the bench as an outfielder, I had to go in goal. Hmm. Um, so I went in goal, made a few saves, uh, got muddy, thought, oh, I really like this. And I didn't find out until years later that after that game, my dad actually put a bet on me to, to play in goal for England before I was 30, <laughs> which I never knew. And I swear, never knew until two days before I uh, made my debut in 2006. So he obviously seen some it, stuck at it after that game. And things really progressed really quickly from there. From, from not playing in goal, I was mid-13, something like that, 13 and a half, to signing as a schoolboy for Coventry. Things progressed really quickly and went to Blabian Weston, who then were the team around the Leicestershire area. They were a very good outfit, uh, boys team. I, mean, I think Dion Dublin's been there, Peter Shilton, I'm sure he played for, for Blabian Weston. A lot of players have played for that team. Mick Pearce, who was the manager, and Paul Dannon, he used to be an old Premier League referee. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they were the managers. They, they spent a lot of time with us. Um, they got me to training early. They did extra with me after. They were just so keen to, to you know, they obviously spotted something. Uh, got spotted, uh, spotted for the county from there. And then it was between Coventry and Leicester. But because I'd already been training at Coventry with Stevie Grisovich, set up, got like a real good relationship with him when I was 15 and he used to cook dinner food for the first team goalkeeper then. And he used to train us on a Wednesday night down at the Sky Blue Lodge. Used to love that and because I'd already had that relationship with him when the chance come to sign for Coventry or Leicester. Um, I signed for Coventry scoreboard forums and, and again from 16 to when I made my debut at 18 it was a bit of a blur to be honest. And things then just, things just took off. 
you know, I'll, I'll maybe debut 18 against Tranmere. In the Worthington Cup against John Actenberg, actually, we talk about that now. He's a Liverpool goalie coach, obviously, with very good friends. And um, we always talk about that, yeah, so I'm on my debut against him. And then got, uh, moved to Liverpool. So I, I never wanted to leave uh, Liverpool, uh, leave Coventry. Um, but I've always been a Liverpool fan. So from the age of seven, it's always put in Liverpool. My first game was when I was seven, up at Anfield, standing in the cop, 1988. We played uh, Nottingham Forest, won 4-2. So we used to get the bus up from Hinkley. It used to take about six hours to get to the game, get home about two in the morning. It was the best days ever. Mm. Um, obviously, when my mum and dad could afford it. And, and as I said, standing in the cop in them days. And the cop in them days was just incredible. I mean, it was it never happened now because obviously, you know, it's, 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 uh, you'd never be allowed that many fans in. But my dad used to always sit me, always stand me, sorry, in front of you. He used to have bollards up in the middle of the cop, like white bollards everywhere. And he always used to stand me in front of one of them. So if obviously people come forward or whatever, I'd I was okay. They were just the best days ever. You know, young Mulby, Ian Rush, you know, mm-hmm. Bob Lyle and Goal, Kenny, King Kenny. I mean, I, I grew up with, you know, and I've worked with them on match, not, not now, obviously, because it's stopped the match days, but I'm lucky enough to work with them. So I was always, it was always, and, and even right up until the last minute of signing, because I, I, I love Coventry so much. I was playing, I lived in the area. I've always been a home bird, didn't want to move. But obviously, the pull of Liverpool, and when we come up for talks, I went and sat uh, where I used to stand as a kid. Wow. Uh, because I was still unsure about signing and I've not signed and the chief exec and then my girlfriend wife now Leona was up there and she could tell I was nervous and I just said look I just need a minute can I go down to the pitch and went down to the pitch and I was still nervous I knew I was going to sign but I just needed that you know kick up the bum to get it done mm. sort of thing and I just went and sat and as soon as I sat down just all the, I could see myself as a kid see my dad standing next to me see the cops way in and it was yeah we just went straight back up, up, up there and signed so yeah I was there for five years uh, injuries obviously had a big impact on my time at Liverpool, unfortunately. But I'd do it all again just for one game for Liverpool. Lucky enough now to be heavily involved with the club still. It's a magnificent club. Signed for Wigan after that for six years. And that's probably the best I've played then. So from 2006 to 2010, was probably the best part of my career, uh, performance-wise. Under Paul Jewell, under Steve Bruce, who are holding, holding uh, really high esteem. Uh, and then I, I was there, Roberto Martinez come in 2009-10, um, played the first season under him and then that was me done then. I, the last two years he played Ali Absi, um, come back in the team, went out on a couple of loans, you mentioned Leicester, Doncaster, but knew I needed to leave, but didn't want to leave from where, where we are because we lived in the same area. We moved up into the same house, we had a daughter in 2006, dropped off to school, picked her up. So my routine was... Brilliant, spot on, nothing, you know, even though at the time I wasn't, the last couple of years I wasn't playing as much as I wanted to, I still knew my home routine would never change. But then that all flipped on its head when I signed for Sheffield Wednesday in 2012, my routine changed. Uh, we didn't move house because my daughter was happy in school, and just about to start bigger school, so we didn't want to up either. So I said, well, I'll travel, and Sheffield's not far from Liverpool, it's just a nightmare journey to get there. And that's mm-hmm. when my issues. That's when my issues started to affect me. Being in the car for long hours of travelling, missing things back home, having to stay over certain days, just a complete flip, one eighty of my routine that I was used to for mm. t- eleven years. You know, for eleven years, I'd even Liverpool, Wigan, they're right next to each other, same house, same area, same friends. And then I just started to miss a lot of stuff and just found it. Just found myself in my car long periods and just your mind wanders and. You might what uh, my wonders and you're on your own it's it can just lead down and i never knew what it was i just thought 
I, I didn't know what it was because back then it wasn't talked about mental health. It's only been in the last, I would say, probably the last 18 months, definitely two years. It's more at the fore now. You turn on the TV, you turn on the radio every day and it's, it's on there every day, which is brilliant and which is needed. But back then I had no idea. And I just obviously didn't tell anyone. Uh, the football for the first year was the get out. The 90 minutes was particularly the first year and particularly the second year was the get out. But then as soon as the whistle went, I was I was literally in the shower, changed and in my car in Hillsborough within 15 minutes um, because I wanted to get home. I was desperate just to get back home. Um, but then the things, you know, started to really get bad after about a third year and after the third, during the third season, uh, sorry, the start of the third season, Kieran West would come in as goalkeeper. And I was relieved because I didn't have the pressure of having to play because at the back end of my second season, my form dipped a little bit. I couldn't concentrate. I was thinking about getting home early, thinking, oh, I've got to come back. And it just affected my game. So the third season, I was absolutely relieved that I wasn't having to play, which is obviously a trouble in its own because you should never yeah. feel that way. Um, sounds was, like... Go on, mate. Sorry, I was just sorry to interrupt you, mate. I was just going to say, it sounds like that change in schedule had a massive effect on you because, like, I know, like, people say, like, what a great great life footballers have got and how easy it is. They go to work in the morning and then they've got the rest of the day and, and you know, they get paid loads of money. But as we, we discussed on previous shows, like just because you get paid well, doesn't just mean that you're automatically happy all the time. And I think for someone, a footballer who's got children, a big plus of being a footballer is being able to do things like the school run and be there for you, be there for your kids when they get home from school and, and having tea together which, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people who've got a nine-to-five, they miss things like that. Um, so that change in schedule is going ha- to have a massive effect on, on anyone. Um, but then when you also add in the fact that you lived in the same area throughout your career, you, know, you stayed in that same place throughout all of your career, that's going to have a big change as well. Because So did at any point kind of end up staying over in like Sheffield and things like that in a hotel or was it always travel back? Always, yeah, always travel back when I could. The only time I had to stay over was if there was an accident because the Snakehead, the Snakes Pass and the Woodhead are the, the two roads. You, you can go motorway, but Snakehead and, and Woodhead are the two roads, but they get closed a lot. There's a lot of accidents on them. So if they were shut for whatever reason, then I would have to stay over or I'd be getting home at ridiculous time and setting off more or less straight away. Uh, stayed over a night before games occasionally, but the girls would come over, so they would get the train over on a Friday. I'd pick them up, uh, so they'd walk up to the hotel right next to the station, we'd stay in a big family room together, go to the game, and then drive back all together. So I was, even though they would, I'd still prefer to be at home, but it made mm-hmm. it a lot that they were with me, um, staying in Sheffield. But like you said, for, for 11 years, it, it completely flipped 180. I had a certain routine, and then it completely turned on its head, and I had long periods in the car on my own. Winter months are a nightmare when the weather's cold in the mornings, it's dark, you're getting home when it's dark, you know, and it's, and, and like you said, people will just think, well, how can it affect him and stuff like that? But mm. so he did, really did. And, and people that say that don't really know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What they can do. They don't, they're, they're, they're naive to the situation. And, and I hope to God they never do they go yeah. through that. I really do. I don't, I don't wish it on, on anyone, even people that say, are oh, we? talking rubbish and stuff I wouldn't wish it on them at all because it is it's not a nice place to be Chris where was the moment um where you 
it sort of came to a head and think you were like, I need to get help here. Or maybe that it came to that point where someone else said, look, we need to sort of look into what help well, we can get. There was two. I mean, the first one, I was going to sign again, so 2012 to 15, three seasons. Love the club. The club were brilliant. The fans were amazing. What a club. The, the, the staff, the lads. Everything. If, if it wasn't as good as that, I'd have walked a long time before. But the, the club, you know, I stayed there because of that, because of how good it was. And But then I was going to sign again pre-season for the fourth year in my training kit. Reported back first day to sign my contract to stay for another year. Walked up the stairs into the office, contracts on the table, the chairman, the manager, uh, my goalie coach. Had the pen in my hand. And even walking up the stairs, I just knew that I wasn't going to sign. And I still had the pen in my hand. And, and then I, I just literally froze and put the pen down and says, look, I need to get back close, closer to home. I can't, you know, I'm having problems. Um, I can't sign this contract. And it was devastating. You know, a lot of people didn't know. Um, my goalie coach, Andy, knew there was an issue, but didn't delve too much into it. He knew there was an issue at home. He said, look, I'll give you extra days off, whatever you need. You know, he was amazing. The club were amazing as well. Uh, but didn't know the extent of it. We mm. thought a lot of it was to do with Leona because we said that. We said she was struggling with depression. Because at the time, I thought if I come out and say it, anything could happen. I could get hammered. I yeah. could lose yeah. my place. Anything could happen. Because, was, like I said, back then, it wasn't talked about. So I, I just said, I need to get back close to home. And I thought by doing that, it would reverse the cycle again because I could go back to my normal routine. Mm. You know, if I get a team locally, I could drop Lucy off at school, go to training, come back, pick her up. But by then, it was just even when I signed for press. So I said I'd only sign for a team in the Northwest, a team that was less than an hour away. Um, I, and if, if no team come in for me, then I would retire from football in 2015. Preston, I had a couple of offers further abroad, and I didn't want to do that. And then Preston come in. I was going to go back to Wigan. I had the medical, everything was set. Um, I thought, great, back to the club. But I had the best time of my career. Gaz Colder was the manager who... Was my manager that was played with me at Wigan when I was there, so we were good friends. He was a manager, I thought oh, I should perfect. And I go back there, everything's gonna be great. And uh, the deal didn't happen. I was they kept me there for two days. I failed me on a medical, which a lot of people say, Well, we were always injured. But if you actually look at my fitness record after I left Liverpool, my fitness record was 96% for the last 10 years of my career. So that's and that's training and playing games and being on the bench. So they failed me on that, which I couldn't believe because the medical records have been sent over from Sheffield. I've played 90-odd games in the spin. Fourth season, third season, I was on the bench for every game apart from the ones I played. So my fitness, there was no issue at all with the fitness record. But they went, went for a cheaper deal. They went for somebody else. And that knocked me for six. I thought, you know, well, that's me done now. And I was obviously feeling in a terrible way anyway. And that was like another body blow. Lost my dog. Like we lost a friend. Um, and I signed for Preston. And thought signing, you know, would reverse it. But I was just, I just didn't want to play football anymore. I just didn't want to. But the professional pride kicked in. Right, you can do this. You can get through this. Give it time. It's not just going to change overnight. Get back into your routine. Everything will be fine. But it didn't. And uh, and I left Preston again. They offered me a new deal. Took the deal away when I went in to sign it. Again, that was another body blow. And then I signed for Berry, and I should never sign for him. 2016 I should never never sign for him I should have stopped there and then um, signed for Berry. went away pre-season was petrified because I've always had this I always get anxious when I'm away from home and I'm not comfortable away from home I've always liked my home comfort when we were due to go to Portugal on pre-season with Berry, and I was petrified I was thinking I can't do this 
you know, I don't want to go, I'll wing up and just say, anyway, I got on the plane, got out there and just panicked. I was out there, mm. uh, made it through the first day. Second mm. day, we stayed in these apartment blocks. Um, I was on the top floor of the apartment block, went out onto the roof and I was going to jump. I stood on the ledge and I just thought, I, I can't feel this way anymore. And the thing that stopped me was my daughter and, and Leona. I didn't want them to grow up without dad or, or husband. Mm. Got back mm. down off the ledge, rang Leona to look, I, I need need some help you know i'm in a bad way i don't know what you know i don't know what's matter with me flew home the next day spoke to gary flickcroft he was amazing he'd been through some it with uh similar to so dave flickcroft with his dad and got home and i rang a few people and i spoke to neil miller and i said look what do i do and he's heavily involved with the pfa he said ring the pfa they've got a mental health department ring the pfa got straight into the phone so i met them an hour later and that's when the relief just come off my shoulders because I'd, mm. I'd shared it. I'd asked for help. So obviously I had to retire from football, um, but I knew I needed to, to sort my mental health out then and get and get to the bottom of it and get and get help. But it wasn't until that point I thought there was no way out. It wasn't until I asked the PFA, I said, look, I need to I need help here from mental health. Uh, and it wasn't through you know, Neil Mellor, then I don't know what would happen. So, Chris... First of all, thank you for you know for sharing everything and um, discussing it with us. But um, one thing I wanted to ask is, obviously, it sounds like there was a, a culmination of, of various circumstances, which were you know they were building and building and building, um, and you had like this anxiety about being away from home, and ultimately, when you went on, was it the preseason tour with Barry? Um, that was kind of the culmination of it. But before that, that was building up. Um, before you went to Sheffield Wednesday um, and these issues started to sort of get worse and, and build, did you, would you have, first of all, would you have described yourself as like quite an anxious person in terms of like before the games and things like that? Would you be quite anxious and stuff like no, that? This is why I said this, is why I get asked this all the time. Well, you must have, I mean, I've always been a home person. You know, I've always liked home comforts, but I can honestly say before that, no, there was never a time when I was feeling down. Now, now knowing how I felt, I could never uh, recall a, a time like that before. Before 2012, no. You know, even, I mean, probably the, maybe the last two years at Wigan, I was a little bit peed down that I wasn't playing, but, you know, it was never to an extent uh, of what I got to. And, and obviously, yeah. the years before that, when I started 1999 to, to 2012, no. I could, you know, I mean, even we went away on tours, Liverpool, I mean, I didn't like going, I like getting home, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't panicking like mad when I was out there. Um, obviously, things change when you have, you mentioned it, when you have kids, uh, 2006, when Lucy come along, they're your life, then they're the most important person, your kids, and, your, and obviously your, your wife, and your partner. And no, but even then, I mean, like I said, the, the year when Lucy was born, 2006 to 2010, that was the best I was playing. So everything was great. You know, I got back in the England team, I made the England debut, and I went to Wigan. Uh, everything was brilliant. Um, there was talks of moves. I turned down moves because we were happy where we were. Didn't want to move. So, but yeah, before that, no, nothing else. Literally, the change of routine, and not just a slight change. It was a complete. And people say, "Well, you're still playing football," but it, it wasn't. It was everything else. Yes, I was still playing football, but it was everything else that led me to play football that completely changed 180. And I just, it was a culmination over five years, built up over five years until. To say it was either I wasn't I weren't going to be here or I had to do something about it. 
Um, so yeah, 2017, and then and then things got better. You know, I, obviously I, I, I spoke to the PFA, seen a counsellor, seen three counsellors first. Actually, the first two didn't click. Seen another lady click straight away uh, in Manchester. We still speak now. I still see her occasionally. Um, my family's been to see her if they've been struggling. So she's she's you know she's amazing. But then I started to miss miss I suppose the routine of being a footballer. Because for 19 years, you're told where to be, what to eat, where to train. You, you know, your whole life's planned out for you. But for 19 course, years, yeah. I, started yeah. to, I started to miss that. Miss having a purpose, I suppose, to, to get up in the mornings. Um, miss having a routine. And I started slipping back, feeling myself slipping back. So I didn't want to go back down that route. So that's when I said, look, I think I need to go into a place. And that's when I, I checked into Parkland Place last a year past last July to, to really get to the bottom of things. and. Yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. Um, listen, don't get me wrong, I still have good and bad days, bad days now, but the bad days are nowhere near what they were. And I, and I know now the triggers and what I need to do to keep on top of my mental health. Exercise is huge. If I don't exercise, which is very rarely, if I, if I don't exercise for more than two days, which is very rare, I can feel myself feeling lazy. I can feel my mental health bad. If I'm sitting on the couch and my, my palms start to get a bit sweaty and I start to get a little bit feel as though the walls are closing in, I'll just go outside for a walk with a dog. I'll just get a bit of fresh air. As soon as the fresh air, hit, uh, fresh air hits me, I'm better. But it's, it, look, it'll never go away. Um, you know, mental health will never go away, but you learn to cope with it and you learn to deal with it. But the biggest thing now is if I do feel extremely bad one day, which is very rare, I'll talk to my wife now. She, you know, she knows everything. I'll, I'll ring my best mate up. I'll, I'll just get out of the house and go for a walk with people. We've started this thing up. The walking's brilliant with a few of the lads. Um, and I know now what I need to do, but I still have bad days. You know, yeah. I think I always will have. Yeah, I think it's um, even like we talked about the change in routine having been a bit of a trigger for you when you moved to Sheffield Wednesday, but it's also now things like exercise and stuff like that can be triggers to you know to to sort of start the ball rolling, for lack of a better term. Well, today, 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 today's a perfect example. I can't say obviously too much what I've done today, but today was a t- it was a tough day. It was an eye opener for me. You know, I'm doing a lot of work at the minute with with an organisation, and it was a tough day today. Seeing some of the stuff I had to see and hear some of the stuff I had to hear, and I just as soon as I got home, I mean, I was out, I was gone for four, five, about six hours doing stuff, and I got home and I just needed to get out for a walk. I just got back and said, look, I just need to go out for a walk because. I knew if I didn't, I would come back and sit on the couch and I would not say a word for the rest of the night, mm. uh, which wouldn't have been good for you guys, obviously. <laughs> but I knew that I just knew I needed to get out and do some exercise. So I knew I took the dog out um, for, for a big walk and I, I felt so much better, so much better for doing that. And, and I, I do that most nights now. We went out with my wife and was out walking now. But exercise, exercise and talking, the two biggest things you can do. Without yeah, a shadow uh, of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. 100% agree. And I think, you know, through doing these sessions, we said, um, just, I think we spoke about it last week, we said, you know, it seems basic, and it's, it's but it's so important, and like, you hear it, it's a bit of a, um, cliche. a bit of a gimmick, yeah, cliche no. saying, oh, it's good to talk, but when you actually do it, then yeah. you've see, seen it in the same I'll tell you what, Jake, as well, since lockdown, the amount of, not more people I see out now walking out on a bike doing it. It's, it's been incredible. The amount of more people now that are doing it. 
and I think lock, it's took lockdown to do that mm. in, in the COVID situation. But I think from now on, I think going forward, you'll see a lot more people out because it, yeah. and listen, the biggest thing is like it's free, it's the easiest yeah, thing yeah, to catch yeah. free. Doesn't you know, you go out walking with your friends, you go for a talk. You know, I've been doing it, go out with Leona, go out on my own sometime. Like today, I, need, I just needed to get out on my own just for, for a bit of peace and quiet. After a tough day, like everybody has tough days. I've been going out with mates. I've been going out with other footballers. You know, I was out with Tony Bellew the other day for walking, just around the corner. And 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 when you hear other people talking about their experiences, it helps you. Mm, it really does. It helps me. I never knew some of the stuff. You know, that, that some of the people I've walked on have been through. And it's not until you hear that that you think actually, yeah. Then you know, I'm not the only one that goes through this. I'm not the only one that feels this way. Which is which is great. I think if you go back to Chris uh, Kirkland back in the early days when you were struggling, there wasn't that person that you could you know, open a paper or Google footballer struggling with mental health. There was just no, you know, there was probably one, two footballers that had come out. No, I was exercising. I was doing the exercising and it wasn't yeah. helping. But the one thing I wasn't doing was I wasn't talking. Talking, yeah. I wasn't talking. I wasn't asking for help. I wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, yes, I was doing the exercising, but they both go hand in hand without a shadow mm. doubt. It's the two biggest things you can do. They're the best, the only things you can do. And when you're going back to when you were saying you were on the tour with Barry and in that really dark place, had, you know, have you been able to sort of go back and speak to sort of your wife and say, how are things for you when I was back in that situation? Because you know, oh, yeah. I think when you're in that stage of sort of depression and really low, low, you know, I know with me, it's so hard, to, especially with kids, to focus like on what you're you, doing. You like that, yeah, yeah, you exactly. Like you just you don't see anything around you. And so you, I miss, you miss what you miss, sort of what your you, your loved ones are going through. So was there anything like after then you spoke to Leon and said, you know, how was is there anything different to the story that she um, she saw? Well, I always say it. So for five years, you know, Lucy had a dad, but she didn't have a dad. And mm. Leona had a husband, but she didn't have a husband. And I can see that now. And, and it's not just you. I'm, you know, the biggest thing is people going through it with you. It, it's just as hard on them because they can see mm. the they can see a different person. They just don't recognise the person that they got married to, they got with. They just don't recognise them, and it must be so difficult. And it's just as hard as the person going through it. But at the time, you don't, you, like I say, you got the you got the blinkers on. You just don't think about anybody else. You just think about yourself. And all I wanted to do was get to sleep. I didn't want to wake up in the mornings. Mm-hmm. You know, Lucy growing up as well. You know, we're very open with her now. Um, you know, we all talk. We all ask, like, is everybody okay? Is anyone got anything they want to say? And sometimes you have to leave each other alone because you just need your own space sometimes. But most of the time, we have dinner every night. Well, every every night when we can together. Um, and we, you know, we're very open with her. We told her what I went through, told her exactly what happened, and we thought we needed to because mental health now—it's not just in adults. I mean, I, I do a lot of work now in it, and and you know, the nine-year-old the other week tried to kill him, kill herself, and kill himself. It was just incredible. So, you know, it's every age now. You know, from nine to even younger than that should be taught in every school, which we're trying to do mm. now. Um, but yeah, we're very open with it now, and, and we talk. And there's going to be times where we all. You know, go through bad experiences, but if we can share them together, then that's my advice: just share as much as you can. You know, the walks we go on, the walking is brilliant. Sometimes, not now because we're not allowed to do it. But before lockdown, there's 25 of us going on walks, and 
find yourself in different pairs, different groups, you're talking, you're moving on to the next one, and you, and you finish them walks feeling a million dollars. You really do. You feel so much better. Did um, Chris, did you, like in the periods where you were struggling and you were still playing, would, was there ever a time where you were sort of thinking like about uh, like almost self-medicating, whether it be like through drinking, uh, you know, gambling or anything like that? Or was it, do you think, because you were driving to travel to back and forth from Sheffield to home, you kind of never really went down that route? Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 listen, I, I used to love nights out with the lads having a beer and stuff, but no, I mean, I suppose, I don't know, I maybe drank a little bit more, but not to not to the extent where I was drinking, you know, in the car or getting flat over yeah. like that. Uh, I went on to eventually on to antidepressants um, i'm off them now um i mean at the time you suffer injuries so <clears throat> you know you're taking you're taking stuff for injuries anti-inflammatory which are no good for you taking painkillers which are no good for you at times for injuries so i think i think all that sort of stuff that we now know is poison for you. it just adds mm-hmm. to the massive it masks things massively and it makes you feel as though you're okay everything's gonna be fine so i think a lot of people now know that that but, but a lot of people fall into the trap of it, thinking that's the only you know only thing the way out of it. But I just yeah. didn't know what why I was feeling that way. But didn't know why I didn't want to do what I'd done for fifteen odd years, you know, and play football, train, and why I was losing that passion for it, and just wanting to finish the games and get home, which is something I've never wanted to do. Apart from obviously when you're getting hiding, probably back in the mm-hmm. early days. But I just I just didn't understand it. it I just didn't know, you know, it wasn't about, like Jacob said, it's only been in the last 18 months, I would say, mm. that mental health and, and obviously the COVID situation, if there's anything to come positive from the COVID situation, mm. it's not. It's been a horrendous time. The only thing, slight thing would be, I think there'll be a lot more focus now on, on people's mental health because of what people are going through. Yeah, I'd 100% uh, agree on that. I think you see, you see it on social media. Uh just the general conversation about well-being or just general mental health. There's there's always that conversation going on in the news. There's a lot more topic on it. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about the walking and stuff like that, I think probably two years ago, if you said to a lot of young people, oh, walking's really good for your mental health, getting out is good for your mental health, they'd probably be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, I think, I think being forced, forced to do it because that's all we can do um, is a bit of a restart for a lot of young people and older people because it's a bit it, for, for me in particular I was going out on the weekends with the kids doing all these really busy things rushing around feeling like I had to do these things and actually taking a step back and go actually let's just have a real chilled weekend do the exercise which is good for me um, but not and like my daughter was saying like she's a uh, nearly four and she was like oh sometimes I was just like playing at home like I don't want to go out all the time and like so all those things I think we've taken for granted and probably thought we had to do these things but I think definitely the culture of hopefully the country has changed because I think you know unfortunately long term I think the real effects of COVID in mental health will probably kick in in the next you know year or so how it really has affected our country and I think that's where you know I think the groundwork hopefully now is starting to work start those conversations are starting to happen which is good yeah i'd like to i'd like to think that football clubs and the pfa and the fa are all during this last 10 months or so 
have been looking out for their players' mental health. I'd like to think that they've been in regular conversations with them, um, you know, checking they're all right. Because let's not forget, you know, footballers have been going to training and then going home. Um, obviously, there was a period where they weren't training because, you know, nothing was being played. Um, and it's just as difficult for them to stay at home as it is for, you know, any of us uh, who don't play football to do. And I think, like I've mentioned a couple of times, I think Jacob and, and you have as well, certainly over the last couple of episodes, we might see a spike in things like uh, young players using things like gambling and things like that to, to pass the time. But we won't realise, like you say, until a year down the line. It's, um, I just hope that football clubs and the PFA are doing everything they can to make sure, particularly the young players, but all players you know, of all ages, uh, their mental health is, you know, being looked after properly and as 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 best they can. Chris, looking back to your time, you know, when uh, your kind of your issues started, um, and then obviously as they progressed, when you look back in hindsight, is there like at any point where you think I should have said something to you know your goalkeeper coach or or to someone, or could they maybe have picked up on things not being right with you? Yeah, when I when I left, um, probably two. Yeah, probably the second season at Sheffield Wednesday, where it was affecting my performances. Probably should have told them that I'm, I'm struggling being away. My routine definitely then. You know, the second half of the season, my form dipped. Uh, so definitely then, but also when I uh, didn't sign the, the fourth year, I should I should have said why. You know, yeah. I, I said a lot. I need to be closer to home, but I should have said how I was feeling. But again. I was scared because there was not talk about that. Nobody had done it before. Nobody had come out and said that before. And I thought that no team would touch me if, if I say that. And, which you know, if that would have happened, it would probably been a good thing at the time because I probably could have sorted it out and maybe got back playing football. Maybe I had to take six months out or, or a few months out and maybe then I could have come back. So, yeah, there was times when I wish now, looking back, if you'd have just asked for help, just said the way you feel. And it's simple saying it now, but... It's uh, I do I do think about that a little bit, but I can't I can't change any of that. Did it rob me? Probably rob me of probably two or three years in my career. You know, I retired when I was thirty five, um, nearly thirty six. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fit lad. I think I could have carried on until I was forty. Maybe not playing, but as a number two somewhere, a Championship club, maybe mm. uh, number three at a Premier League club. So it definitely robbed me of, of two or three years in football. Um, but there was no way I could have carried on. Was just there was just no way. Have you since? Oh, sorry, sorry. Have you since spoken to any of the guys at Sheffield? Uh, like since this all come oh, up, the response has just been yeah, it's been a, it's been incredible because I like I said the dressing room was one of the reasons why I carried on as long as I did. You know, Glenn Hutchinson, Sam Hutchinson, who's come out and spoke about his his problems. Um, you know, Lindsay, the secretary, the managers, Paul Aldridge, the whole club was just incredible. But and then when I when I left, obviously, you know, they didn't really know why I'd left for. Until probably two years later, when I did retire, and when it came out in all the papers, when when the PFA come to me and asked me to come out and talk about it, and I think I was the the first one back then to do it as, mm. a, as a footballer or nearly, which you know I was at a place then where I felt good and I thought, well, I don't want anyone else to go through that, and mm. and that's why I agreed for it wasn't for adulation or anything like that. It had nothing to do with that. I was just in a place where I wanted to use it for the good. But yeah, I mean, listen, I've had not. I've not had any, anything negative at all. You know, I'm, I'm, I 
I'm on, yes, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter. I use, I don't really, I only use that to promote good things and, and mm. do good things for mental health. But I've never had any, the only, the only reason at the start why I was a little bit apprehensive about doing it when the PFA come to me in 2016, 17, was my daughter. I just thought she's at school. We know kids can be cruel. But we sat her down and said, look, this is what I want me to do. I, you know, I would like to do it. And, and she went, you've got to do it, Dad. You know, you've got to come out and try and help people. And as soon as she said that, that was fine then. And the school were brilliant. They, you know, we rang the school and said, look, this is going to be coming out. They said, look, we'll keep an eye on her. She'll be fine. We'll make sure she's fine. Her friends all knew. So that was the only issue. And as soon as she said that, that was fine. And it, it was the best thing, best thing I could have done. And, and now we're seeing, you know, over the last 18 months, two years, we've seen I'm going to say thankfully we've seen a lot more coming out because you never want them to go through it in the first place. But yeah, yeah. Unless yeah, these people come out and, and say stuff, it's not going to help other people. Um, but a lot of people won't. You, 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 you know, there's uh, there's probably thousands, millions now that you think now that that I can't see that person suffering that, and you probably never know. But they could mm. be one of the worst mm. ones. You know, there'll be a lot of people you never even know about, never even heard about, mm. and probably never will. But it, with the ones that do come around and say something, if they if they feel they can, then mm. it, it will help a lot of people. And also, like I think, you know, we've spoken to a lot of players who uh, it's maybe come up. You know, I spoke to one player and it's come out in the press, but um, not by their choosing, and uh, they just weren't at a stage where they're ready to talk about it. And you've got to, you know, you've got hundred percent respect that. Uh, which did, but just understand some people just are not at, are not going to, it's going to take years, if ever, they're going to be ready to talk about it. Some people, you know, like ourselves here, are more comfortable about talking it. Some people, it's just, yeah, that, I mean, that's where Sai, yeah, sorry, that's where Sai made a great point. You know, clubs, PFA, um, but not just, I, 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 that's what I said when I, when I thought it wasn't just for footballers, it was for mm. society. You know, yes, I'm yeah. football, I know football a lot, but it was for Joe Bloggs down the street, it was for everybody. And what Sai saying is our businesses now. I've done a lot of business calls where to, that, you know these companies have come to me and said, "Look, I want you to talk to our employees, ask, talk them about mental health. We're going to set up something in our business place, in our workplace mm. for mental health." And that's now the responsibility of businesses, all kinds of businesses everywhere, yeah. to set up yeah. that, in, making sure their employees and their own mental health. If they've got a problem, they know they can go to their employees and say, "I am struggling with my mental health." Can I get some time off? Can you get his help? Have we got a counsellor at our workplace? Can I go and see them? So all, all businesses now have got a major responsibility. Schools are doing it. A lot of schools are doing it now. Um, and, you know, you're not going to get everybody jumping there, going in. You're not going to get that if you put it into football clubs. It might be the outside help. Sometimes people think, well, I can't go into that room because I'm not going in there to see a counsellor. So mm. One of my colleagues might see me going in. So can workplaces set up something outside of work where people can go to? So the more places that can do that, the better. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good idea, actually, because you're right, there's a, still a, a stigma to a certain extent in regards to whether it's counselling or getting to some sort of treatment for you know, mental health issues. And I think that was what I was going to ask you, actually, just where me and Jacob both spoke at the same time, was um, in football generally, do you still think that there's this kind of stigma where players don't want to say to, you know, maybe whether it be the manager or the assistant manager or the coaching staff, look, I'm struggling with my mental health or, or I've got some sort of issue because they don't want to lose their place in the team. Or even if it's not about the place in the team necessarily, 
they don't want that kind of stigma of being perceived by old school managers maybe as being weak or being you know not not mentally tough enough to play do you do you, do you think that still is a it's like a stigma around the game yeah yeah definitely i think it's lowering now it's getting less and less but you'll still get players that won't do that for for whatever reason that'll be one of the reasons mm. and that's why clubs need to make players aware that look there is a place outside of outside of these walls outside of the training ground where you can go it will be private uh, unless obviously it's got to a point where the players have safeties you know uh, com- compromised or whatever but they've got a duty to let the club know but yeah the, the, i think a lot of play i mean now there'll be a lot more that will you're still gonna have old school managers how many teams are in the world you know you're still gonna have old school managers that probably won't care but <laughs> I'm struggling to think of one now, you know. In the, in the, in the, I can think of a few. Yeah, I can think maybe I can think of a couple that maybe when I played that I would definitely even now I would I would I would not um, say a couple maybe one that I wouldn't I wouldn't go and see definitely because mm. I know I think I know what the answer would be, uh, but I think in the majority I think uh, and, and listen now the PFA is there so yes. you know, yeah. if you don't go to if you don't go to your, your, your club you go to the PFA and the PFA will, will sort that out but. Like I said, you'll get some players that just won't do it for whatever reasons. Mm. Uh, but you're getting, you're going to get. I mean, I think it's now. I've seen the, the, the other day was it 140 players current and past three years ago? Is it? It's up to like 1100 now, something like that, 1200 players. Mm. So it is. It's tricky. It's doubling every year now because there is more things in place for them to go and to go and get help. At the end of the day, being a professional athlete is um, it's very stressful situation. Whether you've got any mental health issues going on at the time or if you haven't being a professional athlete is stressful you're under a lot of pressure particularly when you look at like something like the premier league like all professional sport is a stressful situation but say something like athletics outside of the olympics they don't get the same scrutiny from the media the fans the tv companies everything which comes with being a premier league footballer and i think I go back to my point um, a few minutes ago. I think that football clubs and football as a game have a responsibility to make sure that players are okay, make sure that players are coping with the situations that they're in, their their day-to-day lives. Like I'm still astounded by what David Cottrell told us when he got his big move. uh, I think it was to Birmingham. He kind of signed on transfer deadline day. And then was basically in this new city, away from Wales, with his, you know, he, he was quite 19, 20 at the time with his wife and his baby. And the agent and the football club basically just left him to it. He'd never, like, bought a house before or, or you know, paid bills and things like this. And to me, that's, like, just the humanity of it, of, like, looking after someone and making sure they're all right. And I want to see football clubs treat their academy players, their professionals, as human beings, and understand that you know, they, some of them are not all right all the time. Some of them need a bit of support and a bit of help. And ultimately, if you look after your employees, they will long term perform better for you. And I think we've had this chat about you know, if you look at situations, there's loads of clubs that are doing. You know, they don't care about their players. They treat them like uh, acquisitions, and 
But if assets. you look at you know assets, if you look at someone like you know the biggest club in uh, England at the moment, Liverpool, if you look at like Jurgen Klopp, the way he his man management with his players is unbelievable. You know, I can't give anyone as good as him. If you look at those players that are not in the first eleven, they're still happy. If you look at someone like uh, Adam Lallana when he left, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen a player that upset to leave yeah. who's not like a homegrown lad. Um, and it shows, you know, I think with Jurgen's sort of mentality, and sort of, he's very, he's probably the most like us, as in like he's, his way of thinking is very modern of we treat people like people and we have to show them love, care and affection um, and they're not just there to do a job they have families and stuff like that and I think hopefully that because he's I think with football unless you get success on the pitch whatever your new strategy is people won't respect it but I think because he's got the success on the pitch hopefully that might change the mentality of owners and different clubs lower down the leagues to go actually maybe we should take a couple of bits from what Liverpool are doing with their man management style so. spot on do you know who did a dissertation as well in walking 25 years ago. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah I, mean, that, when I, I mean, it shouldn't surprise me because that man can do anything he wants, but he's, we got him to do a video, asked him to do a video for Walking's Brilliant, the benefits of it. And he said, he said yes. And he, yeah, he spoke about it. He actually did a dissertation of how good it is, beneficial, mental health and everything like that. But I've been down there. I mean, he makes everyone, I've spoke about it before, he makes everyone feel the same. Like you said, whether you're taking the bins out, he's just got this way about him. You could go feeling the worst you've felt and you could be around him for 10 seconds and he could make you feel the best person you've ever been. He's just got a... a, a and it's not just at the first team as well, it's at the academy. I'll go down to the academy. Now, the academy, they're a special place as well because they help players when they get released. They help players go back into society. You know, when you get released, you could be at a team from five years old now. Mm. You get released at 16 and you know nothing else. Your dream for 11 years, well, I'm going to be a footballer. I've signed again. I've signed now. I'm going to make a debut for Liverpool. 16, 17 comes you out the door. They help players, you know, make that transition afterwards. They're still helping a player now that left seven years ago that come into wow. difficulties. So they do it. Liverpool, Liverpool are doing it. There's not many clubs I don't know. Every club now, and then people say, well, they've got the money to do it. They can do it. But it doesn't come down to that. It comes down yeah. to doing the best for that employee at the time. And then if they leave, not just wiping your hands of one, which unfortunately we see, which will, which will keep happening. Listen, I'm not stupid. It will keep happening. Yeah. But if we can yeah. just, just help more and more and more, Put things in place at more clubs, more workplaces to help people. You know, move on wherever they move on to, then the better it will be. But it's uh, yeah, you're right. Liverpool, are, I mean, that's at least I'm a Liverpool fan. I've my first, like I said, my first game. But I see the way they do things. And if I was at any other club, you know, even if it was Everton, and I see, you know, they do a lot in the community. I would say the same thing. It doesn't come down to our support. It's mm. about what the work I know they're doing. And, and also, you know, when you're saying about oh, they've got the money. You know, we know from other situations in the news that there's clubs that have got a huge amount of money, but they're not doing anything for those players' release, and they're going being released at 16. After PFA, the, PFA know. have got more. PFA have got more than enough money. Mm. You know, the yeah. PFA can help more clubs and players when they leave. And you know, we're seeing a lot of players now that played the game years ago, that are obviously struggling, and they deserve to be because for, you know they 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 were a PFA member. Deserve mm. to get the help now if they are struggling. They deserve to get it because you, you can't just be a PFA member while you're playing for because you've got to be a PFA member in life. Mm. And if you need help, you need help. And I hope they get it, and I'm sure they will. Yes, hundred um, percent. Go on, Jacob. 
if you could make, I suppose we spoke about this with a few other guests, if you could make one change, if you were at the PFA, you were a part of the board that making the new appointment for the new FA Chief Exec, uh, what would you what would you bring in? Uh, every club. What you could do I would, I would make it compulsory that every club has to have inside help and outside help for that club. So players know they can go inside or they can go outside. To, uh, and I'm not just on about one. Got a, because it took me three or four councillors to find the right one. And I know a lot of councillors at the minute, but there's got to be, and there's got to be headlines there where they can ring 24 hours a day, specialists on the phone, phone like yourself, Jake, if someone needs it. You know, get a thousand of these specialists ready to go. You know, and players have got to have their access 24 hours a day. Um, to 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 talk about if they're feeling bad or whatever, to, but knowing it's I think it's knowing because I didn't know he was there. If I knew he was there, would I would I have asked well? I hope to think I would have done, and I hope to think he would have come to me and said, "Look, I'm, I'm not sure you're okay. You know, there's there's helplines here, there's people you can talk to if you need that." So people, you know, clubs need to be make their players aware exactly what's there for them, and and also you know to make them feel as though if you do come to us, there's no issues whatsoever. We, you know, we still want you to play, but if you can't play because you don't think you're right, if you tell us actually I don't feel right to play, we're not going to hold that against you. We want you to get your back mentally right, physically right for you to play for us, and we'll be behind you 100%. I think then you'd find a lot more players. Still, you'd get some that wouldn't, but you'd find a lot more players that would. Yeah, it gives the option, doesn't it? Some some players will, some players won't. Yeah. But one thing's for sure: if the option isn't there. Then no one's workshops as well, regular seminars, regular workshops where players can go down to St George's Park for the weekend or for a couple of days. Right, we're putting on this this weekend. If you're struggling with this, this specialist is coming down. This counselor, this psychiatrist, the options there if you need it. You know, it's there for you. So the more information they can put on, the more opportunities. Then I think they've got. Well, they they need to do it. It's as simple as not. They should do it. They need to do it. Yeah, and we were, I think we said this in another pod. I used to um, offer free mental health education to a local team um, for their youth players, and it went well. And then I think because that box was ticked once, it was I was never sort of approached again. And I said, you know, I said this to Sai off there. I said, you know, it's something I enjoyed doing. I did it for free because it was something I loved doing. And I think some clubs, unfortunately, it's a tick box where, you know, if you look at grassroots football, they would love someone to come and talk to their youth players about mental health, you know. Yeah, you spot on. I think, I think hopefully we're moving towards that way, but it's going to take a lot of, a lot of push to do it, definitely. Yeah. A lot of noise to make it happen, should I say. Yeah, and I think hopefully with doing shows like this and, and, and I think when we're doing stuff like this with, you know, guys like yourself, the more we can do and the more current and ex-footballers that we can get to kind of engage with us and speak with us and share their uh, stories and their relationship with various battles, what it means is it draws more attention to it and, and, and it tells the people who make those decisions, look, not it's not just uh, a small group of people saying it, everyone's saying it, the players are saying it, the fans are saying it, ex-players are saying it current players are saying it and hopefully the more people who say it eventually you know that we'll we will be listened to and the appropriate things will be put in place um okay uh chris i know you've got a uh you've got to shoot off so first of all i want to thank you so much for your time your honesty um and 
you know doing the show and everything. I really, really appreciate no, that. You don't have to um, thank me when I say that to me. You don't have to thank me. It's uh, you know I'm just glad that there's chaps like you that you know without shows as you said you're the ones that do the show and without chaps like you then it doesn't matter what I've got to say. So you're the ones doing all the all the hard work trying to get no. I think uh, you know a lot of people won't know this, but Chris is you know just being very humble. At the beginning of lockdown, Chris uh, helped out. He sp- he spoke to personally phoned a few of the patients who I work with who are big goalkeeping fans, and he spoke to them on FaceTime. And I know he did a loads of other people. So you know, we spoke to loads of people. I think for Chris in particular, you know, it means a lot to him. And you know, behind the scenes and in front of, you know, he does a lot to help uh, the community locally but also wider so thank you so much for that chris and uh oh, my, pleasure. my pleasure i'm gonna hold you to getting you down to bristol one day yeah it's all down there it's cot still up and down today it's cot still down there was he swans in out david cottrell so i was with cot he's, he's in barry he's in barry is it oh well i love, I love that show gavin and stacy so uh, <laughs> but yeah cot was with me Simon, when he was at wigan yeah we yeah, match right. doing, match doing one of his shows soon i think yeah, he's just up the road from me, Barriers. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, he's he's a, a top gentleman, is David. I got a lot, of, lot, lot. I know. Of time I was going to say quickly, Chris, before we go. So, um, if you want to know more about your, is it walking? Walking is great. Walking's brilliant. So there's two walking's things involved. Uh, there's the Yapper app, which is you are perfect always. It's a mental health app. There's no likes. There's no. I mean, social media. You know, it is poison. My advice to any footballer playing football now: come off social media. You know, I was never on it when I played. I only come on it after. Uh, but yeah, walking's brilliant. Jack Knowles, he wanted to do a mental health app. He's just bringing out the app plus as well, which is for workplaces so they can check on the mental health of their employees, which is brilliant. So that's just about Amazing. to get launched. And then walking's brilliant. Yeah. So Mark Crosley, you know, he, he found himself out of work for the first time in 33 years in football in January and thought, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what to do. And he admits himself, if somebody said go for a walk, five years ago or even a year ago they'd gone what do I want to go for a walk for but now he's obsessed with it and he's just bought a dog as well uh, to go out walking but there's a lot of us Steve Howard Dean Windass Gaz Mott we've got comedians on there we've got lads that have lost family members through mental health suicide so we were planning to do Kilimanjaro this July that's been put back till 2022 because of the Covid situation Yeah, but we are doing coast to coast next July so Carlisle to South Shields taking in Adrian's Wall Everything we raise is going to go to mental health, NHS. Um, but yeah, walkingsbrilliant.com. Um, and a lot of the lads put videos on their own Twitter. So Dean Windass does it, I do it, but just about mental health, how are we feeling. Norm, Mark Crosley does it. So check out all their Twitters. Uh, I can't remember them all off, off head now, but if you just type in them. No, you know, I definitely uh, encourage people to check it out. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's helped me no end. I've seen you do a couple of videos and it's uh, spurred me to get out of the house and do a bit of walking. So. Cheers, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's good, and we've got a lot of things planned. We had a lot of things planned that, have, like a lot of people, have, have been put off. But we've got a lot of things planned going forward. We've, I think we're going to they're doing a documentary on the walk as well, which we're hoping to get onto onto national TV. We don't want it going onto these where people. You know, we want it on national TV where people, most people will be able to see mm-hmm. it. So yeah, we've got a lot of plans going forward. So um, very excited about that, and, and a focus for me. You know, it's a, it's a goal. It's a focus to keep me keep me switched on. Yeah, I'll drop um, links in the description for all the stuff you just mentioned as well, so people can just go below and click it. Um, Guys, as ever, if you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in this show or any of the previous shows, or you just feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, um, as a good friend says, keep on keeping on, and just 
keep going, take it day by day, because there is uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I will drop links to various mental health charities uh, in the description as well, as always. Uh, Jacob, thank you for joining me, as always. Thank you. As a Liverpool fan, absolutely love that one, as always. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool fans. Anyway, um, Chris, thank you, mate. Appreciate your honesty massively, and uh, appreciate your time even more. Guys, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, most importantly, spread the word. If you are on social media, be kind. And uh, we will see you next Sunday. Cheers. Podcast Network.